Welcome to Guarding Talk back on 2NURFM. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp. Scott, great to see you once again. Good to see you. It's good to be joined by Greg Richard as well. Exactly. Good to be here with myself, Greg Richard. Very good, very good. <laughs> well, I thought today we'd talk about a couple of different animal-type plants. Okay. Yes, the dolphin succulent. Looks fantastic. The spider lily and weeds in people's lawns. And we've got Pat from Sunshine. He's got a question about quarter lines. Hello, Pat. How can we help you? Hello, Scott. Hello, Greg. Yes. Look, um, I've got I've planted some quarter lines down on my southern side of the house, yeah. and they've grown way up above the fence now. Yes. And they've they've sort of um, split. You know, like I've got two or three stems coming off each one, and now they're coming onto the path a little bit. So. Where, could I cut them off and make new plants out of them and when would be the best time to do that? Yeah, look, you certainly can cut cordial lines. Have you got the ones with the big, uh, like, wide red leaves or the yeah, thinner? Yeah, Yeah, because you can it. get thin ones as well that look almost like a, a yucca or a, a yeah, pony type. I had um, some of those out the front, but they didn't do very well uh, with the lake, yeah. Okay, look, yes, you, you certainly can uh, cut those cordial lines. You can actually cut them almost right down to the ground. I've seen people do that, down to the stump. Yeah. And, okay. and they'll come back out. You know, you might get three or four coming back out of those again. Uh, right. So, look, if you do cut uh, one of the stems, yes, you will get probably double, um, you know, uh, shoots coming off there. Uh, right. As to replanting that cordy line, uh, yeah. yes, you can. Uh, you'd strip the leaves back down so you've got a bare stalk and then put oh. them in deep into some uh, potting mix and uh, let them go from there. Oh, okay. Just so water them as normal. the leaves off. Not all the leaves, you'd, all those bottom ones, so that you get a nice oh, bare stalk. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Now, and is now a good time to do it? Yeah. Look, excellent question. Uh, now, very soon is a, is a good time to do it. But uh, obviously, as we start to get cooler and the days get shorter, uh, mm. you know, plants wanting to strike, uh, it, it becomes you know much more harder for the plant to strike. So, you know, for instance, once you get to uh, you know end of April into May, uh, that's yep. starting to get a little bit cold then, uh, and it would you know be much more difficult to strike the plant. So, if you are going to do it, I would uh, I would get in and do it uh, as soon as possible. Okay, all right. Yep, I just thought it might have been too hot or something. So oh, no. Good. No, not, not too hot. And, and whenever you strike a plant like that and take cuttings, you never uh, you sort of leave them out in the full sun anyway. You always put them into no. a, a more sheltered position, you know, on a veranda or near the tap or under a tree somewhere uh, okay. because the plant is obviously going to be stressed. Uh, yeah. And so you're trying to look after it uh, the best way possible when you've, you're taking those cuttings. Okay. Just one little quick question. Yeah. I have a lavender... Um, plant in front of my letterbox and it's facing west. It doesn't get any morning sun. It gets a lot of afternoon sun and it won't flower. Oh, okay. Well, uh, look, it, it should be flowering. Uh, because lavender do like that that full uh, you know afternoon heat uh, in the sun, uh, so yeah. the fact that it's in you know a little bit of morning shade or not getting as much light at that time, you know, isn't a bad thing for it. Uh, right. What I would be doing is getting an all round uh, fertilizer, a liquid fertilizer, uh-huh. um, and uh, you can also, also also use sulfate of potash as well, which is excellent for yeah. uh, flowering and fruiting of plants, and that will prom- promote flowering for you. Uh, look, as we go into the winter months now, uh, obviously the wrong time for that. But uh, if you start to use that sulfate of potash now, it will build up uh, and build up in the soil. So when it's ready to flower again in September, uh, you know, late August, September, it will probably do so for you. 
Okay, it looks really healthy. It just doesn't flower. Yeah, and yeah. and that's that's going to be the trouble in that case. That uh, you know you might be short of potash in the soil in that area. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. All right. Well, thank you very much. Okay, not a problem, rule. Thank you for thank the call, you. Pat. No worries. Bye. 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 Cheers. Thanks, Pat. We've got Debbie now from Toralba, and she's got a question about begonia. Begonias, yeah. Debbie, how can we help you with it? I bought this begonia down in Tasmania, and it was beautiful. Yes. It had gorgeous flowers on it. I've brought it home, and it looks very, very sad. Now, I'm thinking that it's losing its leaves because... It will finish. Is that correct? Like it'll, it's a. Uh, no, no. Begonias won't. They're an evergreen plant, so it shouldn't, you know, drop its leaves on you. Uh, even, even a, even a tuberous begonia. Uh, so you bought one. Uh, so you you bought a tuberous begonia. Sometimes they they're actually a very touchy plant to try and keep alive. Uh, right. They're often uh, grown in hothouses and in very controlled right. conditions to get that beautiful sort of little rose, uh, you know, flower that they get on there. It was gorgeous when yeah. I bought it. <laughs> yeah. Look, uh, when we sell them, we almost sell them as a, as a castaway plant. You know, you have it for the flowering period and, and some people do get them out into their gardens and they look after them quite successfully. But I would say a tuberous begonia, uh, if we're talking about the same ones here, uh, they can be a very touchy plant to look after, uh, you know, after you've taken it home. How did you get it home, by the way? It wasn't... Well, my husband and I were down in, in Tassie um, caravanning. Oh, so okay. when I bought it, I mean, we spent five weeks in the caravan mm-hmm. and it was quite happy and, yeah. you know, since being home, yeah. um, you know, just travelling home. Yeah, so... Yeah. It, it, it might be missing its wildlife down there, the Tassie Devils or something like that. Oh, it could be too. It's so beautiful down there. I'm tempted to move there. Oh. <laughs> uh, look, so, we've been having here. What I'd try and do is I'd, I'd get it into a... a where you got it at, at home? You've got it in a nice shelter position? I've got it in, um, in my kitchen, which mm-hmm. is faces sort of east. Yes. Um, so it, it, and, yeah, it's got filtered light. Okay. Um. Yeah, but yeah, it's not it's not in a windy position, I guess. It's, yeah. See, I, I, I was know. thinking maybe even get it out on a veranda somewhere. Uh, you know, try and keep it protected at the moment. Uh, yep. But where it's getting a little bit more natural light coming in all during the day. All right. Yeah, but it looked definitely out of the wind. They don't like the wind and cold. So as the nights start to get cooler, you'd probably want to then move it back into uh, a warmer position inside. Right. Okay. All right, well, I'll give it a try and see what happens. Okay, good luck with it. But look, in, in the end, I wouldn't beat yourself up about it if you don't keep it keep it growing. They can be a touchy plant and uh, try again. Okay. Yeah. But, but with the tuberous, yes. can you pull them out and keep them dry? Until yeah, you, them? and look, you can also... try. You can also try and do that as well if you'd like to. What we what we find with them is that uh, up here in the humidity, they, they get uh, you know fungal diseases quite easily. Uh, that's all, also one of the problems with them. Right. Okay. Yep. okay. All right, then. Thank you very much for your help. Okay. Thanks, Debbie. Have a nice afternoon. You too. Bye. Bye. And we've got Peter from Coal Point, and he's got a question about gardenias. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good day, Scott. Bought about 14 um, gardenias back in November. Mm-hmm. They were thick and lush and green at the time I put them in. Um, they are in full sun all day, and when we had those stinking hot days from um, January and February, um, they seem to deteriorate. I've lost one, and the others are starting to... Uh, they've gone. Some of the leaves have gone yellow, and they've lost a lot of their foliage. Um, 
every afternoon I would water them. Uh, I'd put um, uh, well, what's the, Epsom salts on them. I'd put cow manure on them, but they're still not, not looking real flash. Right. Mate, look, it's sounding like you might have actually killed them with a little bit of... Uh bit of kindness there using the cow manure and stuff right. so my rule of thumb when you've put a plant in uh you know straight out of a pot like that it's uh really almost just sitting there in the ground uh you know for the first two or three months with its root ball you know it hasn't altered very much it hasn't spread out too much into the surrounding soil yeah. uh, so unfortunately at that time a plant needs you know a very very large amount of water especially gardenias uh, uh, now, also the other thing is that you've put those in November, December, January. You know, really the hottest uh, you know time of the year. So those plants have been unfortunately pretty stressed. Adding cow manure to it would have un, you know actually stressed them out a little bit more because they have to try and process that. Mm. Uh, so look, I would just now continue watering them, uh, cut off any dead foliage or dead branches that are on there. And gardenias being gardenias, once they establish themselves, they will not look back, mate. They're a very, very tough and hardy little plant. Uh, not so good, like I said, for those first three months in uh, you know hot and dry conditions when they're trying to flower and put on new growth. Um, so even though you said you went home and watered them every afternoon, look, unfortunately, probably not enough. We've had some pretty hot, dry days. Mm, yep. uh, look, that's not your fault. We're all busy people and we have to uh, you know attend to the other things in our lives. So... Um, if you can just keep on watering them now, as it cools down a little bit, I, I think they'll come good for you. Uh, they'll start to grow. You'll get a lot of growth on them before we get to May, June. Yep. Uh, they'll stop then, and then they should spread out uh, a lot more for you uh, once we get to August and September again. All right. Now, I've also got some that have been established for quite a while yes. that need a bit of a prune. Yep. Um, can I prune them now? Absolutely. Go for it. Uh, yep. Again, do it sooner rather than later. Yep. Uh, you can prune gardenias all year round, but I've found that if you prune them you know, in the June-July period, they just sort of sit there as these little you know, bare stalks for quite some time. You might get a tiny little bit of growth, and if you get a, you know, a cold wind or a, you know, anything like that, it can uh, burn those uh, new fresh shoots off. So if you're going to do it, uh, sort of jump out there as soon as possible and give them a prune back, and you should have some new growth uh, hardening up for you by May or June. All right, and striking the offcuts that I prune, I do that now? Yeah, absolutely. You can still do that now. Uh, we were talking to uh, Pat from Sunshine before about lines, and the longer you, you wait now, uh, the less uh, success you're going to have, and certainly the slower they'll, they'll strike. But if you strike you know, uh, you know, know, very, very soon, uh, you will get some nice cuttings out of those gardenias. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, thanks, okay. Scott. Good on you, Peter. Have a nice afternoon, mate. You too. Okay. See ya. Bye. Thanks, Peter. We've got Kay now from Mulbring. She's got a question about hibiscus. Okay, do you get hibiscus growing all right up your way? Oh, beautifully. No, they're usually um, flowering beautifully at this time of the year. But yeah. um, one that it's um, before the flowers are opening are just dropping the buds. I know you've talked about this before, but I can't remember what you do. It's some kind of bug. Yeah, look, hibiscus can get a little weevil that uh, lands in the bug. They can also get the the funny little black um, hibiscus beetle as well that creates all those holes in the leaves. Uh, so, look to to treat those. Unfortunately, you have to you know treat uh, with some sort of uh, systemic and preventative insecticide. Uh, to do that, you need to use uh, you know, for instance, uh, one of the amaldipracids, um, Confidor, for instance. But you have to be very very careful about that because it stays in the stays in the plant and can harm any bees that are around the area. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, look, the other thing you could do, 
is uh, sort of head out there with some pyrethrin-based spray. Now, that's a contact spray. It's certainly not going to work as well as the systemic sprays, but if you go out and start up a, you know, a general spray regime uh, you know, every week or so, you might just try and get that back under control. The whole plant? Yes, the whole plant. Just spray the whole plant. Uh, look, okay, any, anything that's already been, you know, uh, laid, any little weevils that have already been laid in the flowers, uh, uh, you know, obviously you won't have an effect on those and they still might, uh, you know, drop off. Uh, but, uh, yeah, look, it will be using it more as a preventative to, to keep any other insects away from the plant. Okay, then. Thanks very much for your time. Okay, sorry Thanks I couldn't help you any more with that, Kay, but uh, good luck with the hibiscus up there because I know, um, yeah, they can be touchy when it starts to get a bit cold. Okay, then. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Kay. Bye-bye. Bye. And we've got Helen from Morrison. She's got a question about the French penny. Good afternoon. Good Hello, Helen. Good afternoon. Good morning. <laughs> Good afternoon there. Uh, yeah, I've had time. Um, I was given this French penny as a, a seedling. Um, the person who gave it to me buys the seeds and just um, sprouts them, you know, germinates them. Yes, yes. Um, and he gave it to me about, oh, it would have been seven, maybe around seven years ago. Um, it's now over two metres tall. It's always been in a pot. I'm still in a pot, um, never flowered. Okay. So you don't even know what colour it is? No. Oh, okay, oh. That's, that's no good. I'm to see that. <laughs> now, do you want to keep it in a pot or would you prefer to get it in the ground? Oh, it will go in the ground yeah. now, um, but but I have others in pots and they flower the heads off all the time, okay. you know, these and you. So what's wrong with it? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm just wondering, it probably needs a feed. Um, I feed it. Okay, good, good. I feed good. it with liquid, you know, thrive and um, see that, that sea soul. Now, the other um, thing, because it has been seed grown, I'm thinking that like a lot of seed grown plants like mangoes, avocados, it doesn't, you know, uh, mature until a little bit later. Uh, so, for a instance, long time. Yeah, so for instance, with avocados, it can be uh, nine to ten years with an avocado tree before you get a flower and oh. fruit off it. So oh, yeah. I'm yeah, wondering if that might be the case with the frangipani because, in truth, yeah. it's not something you hear about people growing from seed very often. It's, um, you know, well, most... you, you can buy seeds. You can buy them. Oh, they post them out to him anyway. Yeah, yeah. Happened to get, you know, get one given to me and that was it. Yeah, and, <laughs> that, and like I think most... most leaves. Hugely. Oh, good, good. Most people grow frangipanis from cuttings because you you see it, you get you know the flower that you're going to get, yeah, and then right. it, it flowers straight away for you. So I'm, look, I'm wondering if that might be the case. Uh, just keep on on feeding it as usual, and uh, hopefully time will tell for you. Oh, and can I just ask you one more question? Just about yeah, avocados, since you brought it up. Yeah. Um, avocados. Do you need a male and a female tree, or no, no, you don't. You don't for avocados. You don't. No. So the plant you have will bear fruit? Yes, that's correct, yes. What you buy? Yes. <laughs> Great, that's all. Thank okay. you very much. Okay, bye. Okay, thanks for that, Helen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers, thanks, Helen. We've got Lynn now from Weston, and she's got a question about the orange tree. Orange tree. Yes, Lynn. Orange tree. Hi, Scott. We bought a miniature na- Washington Naval about two years ago, mm-hmm. um, and we, you know, I think I'd bring you about how the trunk hasn't kicked up, but... That's by the way, I don't care now. Um, it, it's got thorns on the new growth. Is that normal? Okay. Where's it growing from? Is that growing from down like towards the base of the plant? No. No, okay. Look, no. oranges will get thorns on them. Uh, the, oh. the reason I, I went for that, uh, that that first one down below the base is because often, uh, you know, uh, citrus trees are budded or grafted onto a wild yeah. rootstock and they will grow from below that, that graft point and people don't recognise that sometimes and you get these horrible spiky sort of wild 
um, citrus trees are growing out of there. So that's always mm-hmm. why I go to that. And you just cut that off if that's the case and let it put the energy back into what's above the graph. But, yeah, look, uh, oranges will get spikes on them. Uh, okay. So, yeah, don't, look, don't be concerned about that. I don't think it's anything unnatural. Um, okay, I yeah. just thought it might have been a lemon and it was mislabeled or something. So I've never seen an orange with spikes on it, and it's only on the new growth. Right, look, well, that is something that does happen as well where plants get mis- mislabeled. So uh, yeah. don't, you know, don't sort of discount that. Uh, and, of course, you can get really horrible lemons like Lisbon lemons, which are apparently a very juicy lemon, but, uh, oh, my dear, they are the, the worst plant uh, as far as spikes go, so uh, yes. so look that that does happen with mislabeling. Uh, I guess the only thing you do is wait and see what your uh, first batch of fruit mm. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. I, okay. I just thought it was unnatural, so that's fine. No, no, no. Look, I, I've seen I've seen oranges with uh, definitely with spikes on them. So yeah, okay. not yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you, Scott. Excellent. Have a good day. Okay. Good luck with it, Lynn. Thank right. you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, Lynn. We've got Paul now from Islington, and he's got a question about Collius. 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 Yes, yes. Very good. Thank Very you. good. Paul. Um, yeah, good day, Scott. How are you? Yeah, pretty well, mate. Yeah, good show, mate. Um, listen, my question is, uh, when do you actually um, harvest the seed on the collier? Yeah, so, it, well, you can harvest the seed, you know, once it's actually there ready to, to do so. Um, so that it's finished flowering for you and it has turned to seed? Um, no, it, just, it comes up with the blue flower. They all come up with the blue flower. They do, yeah. I've got lots of... Um, Lots of colour. Yes. Um, I had trouble actually finding there's an electric blue one that I not able to get. But yeah, but they all come out in a blue flower. Um, I've I've actually plucked them off, but it seems like they're too wet at, the, at that time. So do I just leave it and let all that blue flowering disappear and let it go dry and then take it for seed? Yes, that's what you do. So you don't don't cut it off when the flower's still there. You actually need okay. to let the seed to seed to form on the plant so you do just let those petals drop off uh, yep. eventually uh, over time then the seed will start to form and when you see it you know maturing and looking like it might be ready to drop off that's when you can actually cut that uh, top off that plant and put it into a brown paper bag to okay. let it dry out and harvest the seed from that oh wonderful yeah. Too easy. now the other thing about mm. coleus though if you have found one with uh, you know, that you like the flowers on particularly, the, probably the best way to strike it uh, is just by cutting. I mean, they're very, very easy to do. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, cut, I do that all the time, but I'm finding I can't find a blue one. There's, there's an electric blue-coloured coleus, and I can't find it anywhere. Right, okay. It's because, very hard to get hold of. Yeah, because, look, when, when you do harvest seed, there could be some variation in that, so you might not get exactly the plant that, you know, it came off. Uh, that's yeah, that's okay. natural selection. That's how we all we all change and evolve over time. Um, but yeah, look, if you do find that plant that you especially like, see if you can ask someone or pinch a you know pinch on. I mean that in the physical term, not actually going over someone's fence and taking it. <laughs> uh, you knock on the door first and, and uh, see if you can get some of the uh, cuttings and uh, strike them from that. Yeah, wonderful. Good on you, Scott. Well done. Thank you. Okay. Have a nice afternoon, mate. See you, mate. Okay. Bye. Bye. And we've got Terry from Edgeworth, and he's got a question about soil. Hi. Hey, Scott. hey, Terry, how can we help you? How can we get our hands dirty with this uh, particular <laughs> question? Well, what's happening, Scott, is um, not here at Edgeware so much, but we've got a, a bit of land up north. I've talked to you before about uh, frangipanis and oleanders and stuff like that that yep. I want to grow there, and that's all good, but um, we've got a garden up there, a few gardens, and we have um, many, many ants everywhere all the time. They're always in the soil and whatever. We seem to water the the um, soil around, um, and there is ants around there as well. And then 
we water and water and water it, and then you dig it down, and it's only gone down like a few centimetres. And mm-hmm. we don't know if it's because ants put a, um, some sort of inhibit in in their soil or something, or I just wanted to know if it's an ant problem that when you got like an ants, a heap of ants are obviously nesting and whatever. Do they stop the water from going down? Uh, look, ants don't necessarily stop the water from going down into the soil, but they do because of their little nests. You know, it does sort of direct water away. And for some reason, yep. it's always very sandy around an ant's nest. And, of course, sand is, you know, very hydrophobic. It repels water. Okay. Uh, so, look, the, the ants aren't, you know, I, I don't think out there maliciously trying to get rid of the, the, you know, the water around the plants, but just by the nature of them being there, that does happen because of their, their nests and whatever. Uh, look, what you do need to do, though, is mulch around the, the plants. That always helps uh, retain moisture in the soil. And yep. also go and get a wetting agent of some sort. We always recommend Saturate. It's a powdery sort of one. Yep. You can also get liquid ones. And essentially what it does is it, it makes the soil sticky. So uh, as the water's passing down, it, it somehow sticks onto the soil and it, it allows it to be absorbed in. Okay. So once okay. you you just need to break the back of, of that, I guess. If if something's repelling water, eventually once it does start to you know moisten up and, and, and get soft, it will then hold the water a lot more effectively uh, than just trying to push it away at the moment. You, you see it sometimes when you just pour water on the ground and it's very sandy and dry soil, and it actually you can see the water beating. Yep. As it, as it runs, runs across yep. the, the surface of the soil, and that's uh, that's what's happening for you. It's just very quickly running uh, down through the soil. So we need to slow that down to get that soil to absorb it, and yep. that's by uh, mulching and by using a wetting agent. Okay. Would it hurt also um, to um, get your pitchfork and sort of put a heap of um, holes in the around the area that you want to water as well to try and let the water down? Yeah, that that certainly helps as well. Yeah. Uh, okay. And look, uh, doing that, the the wetting agent, if you use saturate, will also get down into that area too. Uh, the mulch can also fall down into there, so it, it does it does work. Breaking up that ground uh, yep. does do you know quite a lot as well. Yeah, because um, we're not there all the time, so we sort of give it a real good drink, and then we, unless nature comes down and rains a bit, it's got to sort of last a little bit longer. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and look, yep. as we all know, that that soaking rain. Uh, you know, it works so well because it, it does it, it. It's not this big, you know, sudden downpour. It, it sits there. It's gentle. Uh, yep. You know, the soil starts to absorb it in, uh, and that's why it does work better than even you know just going out with there with a hose for ten or fifteen yeah, minutes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much, mate. Okay. Good on you, Terry. Thank you very much for the call. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Terry. We've got Phil now from Hamilton South. He's got a question about the French penny as well. Oh, yeah. Look, they are looking spectacular out there at the moment. Today. Yes, they are popular, aren't they, Phil? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was over in I was over in Stockton yesterday, uh, right. going over to an engagement party, and the frangipani over there were just absolutely spectacular. They must just love the sandy soil over there. There was one particular house that had uh, three beautiful ones out the front. If anyone's over there in Stockton and has a bit of a drive around, you'll see them. Yeah. How can we help you, Phil? <laughs> um, I've got one that's about my wife adores it. It's about five metres high. Yes. And I'd like to I'd like to give it a really good haircut. Yes. I'm wondering how, how hard can I be at go at it? Look, now, it's forked also, and yep. I was wanting to take maybe one side out. Yeah. Look, you, you can, and you can go pretty hard uh, with pruning frangipanis. Uh, you're, not, right. you're not going to kill the beast, but good. you are going to deform it quite badly. So it's sort of going to be a bit like the, right. the Quasimodo plant. Uh, it's not going to be, you know, a very nice shape. They don't uh, come back very well. It takes quite a lot of time for them right. to, to come back, and they get these funny little water shoots that come off. So you do start to lose that really traditional mm. frangipani shape that you've got. It's sort of it. Yeah, I think the shape's already gone. Right. Okay. Um, 
That's why I was just wondering if I could, yeah, how hard I could have a go at it and see. So if I won't come back, I think I'll just, I might just leave it. Or be nice. Yeah. To take a little. So off if you if you do go hard at it and prune it back, yeah. it, it could be two to three years. Oh, shiver! She'll shoot me. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, I, I could, I could hear the fear in your voice then, mate. So that's, that's why I didn't suggest that straight away. Uh, so look, could be two to three years for that plant to come back and sort of regain yeah. some sort of shape. Often, if you want to try and, um, you know, retain the shape but give it a prune, you can, you know, yeah. go in and, and selectively just take out the odd branch and, and thin, yeah, okay. thin it out in a way, and 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 right. take a look at it then and see what happens, and then. Uh, you know, maybe in a year's time, you know, take out a couple more branches. Just, you know, it's, it's something you do over time to try and retain the shape of the plant. Right, terrific. Appreciate your help. Thanks a million. Okay. Good luck with it, Phil. Keep, Thank keep, you kindly. Keep all the firearms away from your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, mate. Bye. Bye now. Rose, Rose from Salamander Bay. She's got a question about roses. Hello, Rose. Hi. How can we help you? Oh, hi. Um, I was just wanting to know if um, it's a good time to prune standard roses now. Yes. Have you got iceberg roses? Yes. Yes. Look, you, you can prune iceberg roses almost all year round if you want to. They are just one of those plants that you uh, they go and go and go, and you don't really know when to prune them because they don't stop growing. But traditionally, look, you would prune your iceberg roses, say, in early February, and then again in July or early August. Uh, so, you, look, certainly you can do them now. If they're unruly and they're a bit out of control, yes, give them a good prune back. And uh, and then in about or four to six weeks' time, you'll have new shoots and uh, probably new bud coming on there as well. Okay. So, like, prune them back hard or just lightly? Oh, you can prune them back hard if you want to. Don't look with oh. an iceberg rose, do not be scared of giving it a prune. Oh, okay. Right, yeah. yeah. And um, also, um, around the bottom of them, I usually put this is at my daughter's not my house, I put annuals you yeah. know, for a bit of colour yes. and, I, was, and uh, I wanted to know, will I fertilise, I'm going there on Wednesday, will I fertilise first, let that soak in and then put the annuals in or what, can I do the annuals at the same time? What sort of fertiliser are you going to use again? Um, I can't, it's at my daughter's, I can't oh, remember. Oh, that's all right. Is it a, li- is it a liquid fertiliser or a granule? No, Granules. Okay, granule one. Uh, look, generally, I would say don't uh, don't plant annuals like that as fresh seedlings in around fertilizer, uh, because they send out little hair roots very very quickly, and you can actually burn them away. Uh, so it might be something whereby you uh, you know you plant your annuals and uh, wait a week, or you fertilize and then wait a week and plant the annuals. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, so I, I try and have a, a little bit of a time lag there so you don't do any harm to the annuals with the fertiliser. Okay. Yep. okay, thank you. Okay, have a nice afternoon, Rose. Thank you, thank bye. You. bye. And now we've got Lee from Pelican and he's got a question about grevilleas. Uh-huh. Lee, yeah. how, can we, how can we help? Hi. Um, yes, I um, bought a bunch of grevillea from a wildflower nursery probably three years ago now. Yes. Um. It ha- it's got the bright pink flowers on it. Well, when I bought it, it did have um, something lollipop, I think it was called. Um, it's about two foot high. And I put it in, and um, when those flowers died off, I chopped them off. And I probably got another half a dozen. And since then, it hasn't flowered. Oh. Not even looked. Yeah. And it's about three years old now. Um, it was three metres. It was full size was going to be three metres to three metres. And it's well and truly three metres high. Yep. Um, and I do trim off the side of it because it's near a path. So the width-wise, it would have been the same. Yep, yep. And it's 
trunk. I've never seen a trunk as big on a Crevillia. It'd be the size of a dinner plate. Right. Well, that, wow, that, that's huge because Crevillia is really just a, almost a small yeah. growing shrub, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, and I cannot get a flower on it. I went back to the um, wildflower nursery and they said to try the potash, which I've done that multiple good, times. Good. Yeah. Um, my mother and brother told me to give it a good old bash with a plank <laughs> of forby too, so yeah. I've even done that. I'm at desperate measures because I really bought it for the flowers and for the birds, you know? Yeah, and that's the old-fashioned um, method. Sometimes it does work. Yeah. Uh, now, you yeah. said it's out in full sun, didn't you? Yeah, full sun, and the lady said maybe it must be the soil of pelican, but look, every other Grevillea pelican's flowering. Yeah, and <laughs> so look, it can't and, be the soil. And yeah. look, I, I'd say, I'd agree with you on that, in that, uh, you know, Grevilleas do like, uh, you know, a fairly well-drained and sandy soil. Uh, and you have been using sulfate of potash. The That's trouble with what I'll put on it, yeah. You know, you can get other specific native fertilisers, uh, and I would be inclined to go and get a bag of that um, and and try and and use it always according to the directions, because you have to be very very careful around grevilleas and, and natives when when you're fertilising. And I would be inclined to go and give that a try, just to uh, because your soil is sandy. Uh, you know, it might just be missing something else there that's you know just preventing it from flowering. Uh, I'm also wondering about the pH of the soil as well. Uh, if it's too if it's too alkaline for some reason, that could be affecting the flowering of the soil. So, uh, what I'd do is I'd take a, a soil sample from around the plant, uh, take it to your local garden centre. They should have a, a, a soil testing uh, kit there, uh, and they'll probably do it for you as well if you ask them very very nicely. And uh, just see what the pH is. You really do want it to be uh, slightly acidic, you know, uh, seven, you know, six and a half, uh, you know, for a grevillea. And but I'd also get that uh, native fertilizer and give it a fertilizer as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It is growing up. There's all lawn around it. It's in just a little dugout sort of garden, and then the rest of it's all lawn. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, lawn does, uh, you know, take a lot of moisture and a lot of nutrient away from plants. Mm-hmm. But uh, if it's fully grown like that, I, I think I'd just test that, test your pH, and then just give it a general fertiliser otherwise. Okay, then. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much for that, Lee. Good luck with it. It looks like yes. a beautiful plant with those flowers on it. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers, thanks. Let's guarding talk back on 2 when you are FM and Scott Sharp. We're out of time for another week. Oh, no, we uh, dolphin plants next week. Dolphin plants next week. Yeah, okay, we'll do that we definitely. Get our flippers ready for it. They, uh, they're as cute as a button. Scott Sharp, thank you very much. Okay. Catch you next Monday from midday. See you then. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2 NUR FM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well being, pet care, finance, business, and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.